If you'll turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. We're going to read verses 4 through 9. I titled this, Who Wants a Snake? And Bruce asked me if I was going to furnish snakes and that he didn't want one. So does anybody in here like snakes? My son raised some for a while until it bit him and then he quit. Uh, Looking at Numbers 21 and verse 4, says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Um, some of your versions might say impatient uh, on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water. Our souls loathe this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Verse 7, Therefore the people came <clears throat> to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. When you um, look at this, just a small section in here, we, we had finished... Um, some of the other issues uh, with um, Moses uh, doing some things he shouldn't do. When we look at this, it says that people became impatient uh, because of the journey. And this is out of the American Standard Version. Now, here is a group of people, and I'll show you the verses in a few minutes, is this the first time they've complained or murmured? Seems like we've done a lot here, haven't we, about it? You would think that after they saw something happen when they murmured before that they weren't, wouldn't murmur now. It's a little different this time because in the Bible reading, who was first listed that they spoke against? It was God this time. It wasn't Moses and Aaron, was it? Or Aaron and Moses, it was God. And here we go again that says, you, why did you bring us out of Egypt? And, and it goes back to this thought that they had good food in Egypt, they, even though they were slaves and all this. And you've taken us out in the wilderness to die. Uh, there's no food or water. We went over water last time. And this worthless bread. Now, remember, who's been taking care of these people? God has, has he? So you're kind of biting the hand that feeds you, aren't you? And, and when you look at this, and, and they're speaking, to me, it's shocking, isn't it, <laughs> that it would happen again? You know, it, it tells us that as members of the church, we're going to have difficulties off and on, aren't we? We're going to have things we're not 
liking. But we read in Romans and we read in other places, these things happened as what? An example, didn't they? That we should learn and not do it again, right? (laughs) When you murmur and complain, you're not complaining about something that's going on, you're complaining about God, aren't you? Because he furnishes everything for us, doesn't he? If we're really honest. And here these people went against God and Moses, and it's not the first time it's happened. So what he does is he he sends these fiery serpents. This is the best picture I could find in the archives of Moses' pictures. Um... We don't know if they were red. We don't know if their bite was fiery. But it's obvious that the Lord sent something there. And when he sent this, was it just with the family of Judah? It was everybody, wasn't it? So it wasn't one of these things that he's saying, well, just this group of people made a mistake, so what we'll do is we'll put the fence around there and send the serpents in there and we'll use special fence that they can't get out of. There must have been a lot of murmuring, huh, to to say we're going to send it. And within this verse, it says he sent the serpents where? Among the people. And here we go again. It says one person died, two. When when I read many, the Lord has already taken care of a lot of people up to now, hadn't he? And here, these people, when they're bit, there's no hope, is there? You know, if, if we compare ourselves, which we'll go in through this, When you and I are bit by sin, what do we have to help us? They were dying. We have Jesus. And we have a plan, just as John prayed about the Word, we have a plan, and these people had nothing. So when they were bit, they die. End of story. Well, when you go a little farther... The people are pretty smart this time. They go to Moses. Now, remember, we talked about Moses that he was told to what? Speak to the rock the last time, right? And instead, his anger was aroused, and what did he do? I like the way Bruce said it. Bruce said he had to hit something. So Moses is on the way out, isn't he? Moses could have said, hey, I'm not going to be much use. I'm not crossing over with you. You're on your own. But he's some of the people too, isn't he? So they go to Moses, and what do they say? We've made a mistake. We've, in just these few verses, we've sinned. You know, we do the same thing. When we're bitten by sin, what do we do? We say we've messed up. Some come forward. We pray or say, you know, speak 
against the Lord. We've spoken against the Lord, not us. I'm saying they have. But what does it tell us to do here? It says they, you know, want him to pray. They know that Moses has that power between he and God with prayer, don't they? They've seen it before. Why didn't they quit doing what they're doing? Because you know why? They're just like you and I. They're people, aren't they? And we get bit by sin. We have problems. We pray the same way. And of course, they want to get rid of the snakes, don't they? So we see that this complaining went on and on, and Moses prayed for the people. I put these verses on the bottom. Numbers 11.1, that he sent fire, and 11.14, who will give us meat to eat? Uh, Moses and Aaron in 14.2, if only we had died, because remember the the, uh, spies brought back a bad report, and they were all worried, and they got bent out of shape, and they didn't want to go in. In 16.1, it was Korah's rebellion, and then after the rebellion, and they were swallowed up in 1641, the, the verse down there, they said, you've killed the people of the Lord. So it hasn't stopped. In 1712, surely we perish after Aaron rods, buds, and we talked about 22 and 3 with no water, and tonight 21.5. So here is Moses again making intercession for the people. One person, right? Who is the one person that makes intercession for us? Jesus, right? So it kind of fits in. Any comments? Yes, sir. I'm sorry. When you look at the uh, earlier verses of chapter 21, and there at verse 1 through 3, and when they present their initial complaint, why you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. And just verses before this, they uh, requested deliverance. You've got the, uh, this Canaanite king, and he comes, he's captured some of the, of the Israelites. And so they make a vow to God. He says, God, if, if, if you will deliver us from this you know, you know, in, into our hand, we'll destroy them. And God does that. And so, you know, so we don't know the time frame, but sometime, you know, previously, God has demonstrated that he has not brought them out to the wilderness just to die, but has actually delivered them from their enemy. And so they leave from there. And so now they're going around, eat them, and they go right back into this complaint. And to me, it's just striking, you know, when you think of this idea of, of, uh, okay, you're complaining about food this time, you know, which you've complained before, but really it is. It's, it's, a, it's an, uh, an attack on God uh, about God's promise and him not being faithful. Good, great point on there. When you think about it, it boils down to what? Faith, doesn't it? It says, you got another one back there, David, uh, Jonathan, that here was God. Remember, we talked from the beginning when he was getting, when he sent the spies out, he says, yeah, go ahead and spy, I'm paraphrasing, go ahead and spy out the land, the land what? Which I will give you. So it was already a done deal, wasn't it? But what does it go back to? Faith and obedience, doesn't it? Jonathan? 
two things. One, uh, maybe a couple observations about the people, and then one observation about God. Psalm 78 um, is is a really interesting psalm. It recounts a number of the events, sometimes in aggregate, of the uh, wandering in the wilderness. And the focus is on just the amazing mercy of God that he dealt with, he dealt with this type of behavior over and over and over again and, w- and continued to be long-suffering with them. Yes, he killed some of them, but then um, the, the whole tenor of the psalm is that he was compassionate. He forgave their iniquity. He did not destroy them. He, he often restrained his anger, and he did not arouse all his wrath. And that's that we need to see that as we read these verses. But in, in terms of the people, it's really interesting that this bread they were um, complaining about, Psalm 78 describes it like this. He said, He rained down man upon them to eat. He gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. And this is what they were complaining about. Um, and then, you know, in all of this, they never turned to the Lord, except... It says in verse 34, when he killed them, then they sought him. It's like, well, bail me out. Yeah, I've really messed up now. Well, sure, we need to respond to the discipline of the Lord, but it just shows that they they didn't turn to him um, for his goodness to them. Good point. Great point. You know, what you and David said, when you look at these people, as long as God was working for them, what what were their feelings? Oh, it's great. God's taking care of us. Well, he subjected them to 40 years, but he took care of them, didn't he? He took care of those people. Yes, sir. Those are interesting words that you have up there as, as what the Scripture records. It's a century-old remedy for sin. It, it's very reminiscent of Simon the sorcerer and what he was told to do. You sin. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We have to repent. Indeed, Simon had spoken against the Holy Spirit, and when we choose to do it our way, we speak against God and His His will. But He assures us, if we will confess those things and pray, that He'll take away the serpent, the red serpent, the the devil. The devil. Yeah, and it's just, I like the way that you put it up there because it, it first struck me that, you know, what Simon was told to do because he recognized the, well, they they told him of what he was in danger of, and he recognized that. They recognized it, I think, probably just from uh, looking at what the Scripture says and my own weak thought is maybe it was personal for them, uh, physical, physically personal, whereas Simon may have been uh, spiritual. They didn't want the snakes. Simon didn't want the consequences. Good point. Tolly has her hand up. You know, it's, it's interesting when you look at these passages through numbers. A lot of times we'll skip over numbers. Oh, it's just about senses and stuff. But these things are given to us so that we can remember and we can see the kindness of the Lord, mercy, grace. We can see His long-suffering. We can see all this of the Lord because He, several times, what did He say, say to Moses? Get back, I'll just, we'll start over. Moses saved him. <laughs> yes, ma'am. 
I was just going to say, and you may have mentioned this, but John 3.16 is prefaced by um, 14 and 15, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. You know, he loved the Israelites, but that now, the world as much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes. Great so. point. And at that particular time, these were his chosen people, weren't they? These were the people that we see the prophecy say that the Messiah would come from, right? So we knew that his loving kindness was not going to change everything at one time, but there was still a lot of people that came out of Egypt, but there's a lot of them that have died up till now, haven't they? And what is it from? Disobedience, isn't it? Lack of faith. And the same thing with us. When we have that, we die in sin. Not to sin, do we? Any other comments? Great comments. John's got something. Just thinking about to the extent that God cared for them. There in the book of Deuteronomy, he said he'd God had provided everything they needed. In chapter 29, he said, even their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out. So God cared for them every single day. And he walked with them, didn't he? I mean, he led them, told them when to stop, everything. He did everything for them. Yes, sir. I think one thing stands out to me in this, too, is, is God gave them opportunity. Because um, when the snakes bit them, evidently they didn't die immediately like that. We all probably understand that a snake bite if left unattended, you're not going to last very long. So they didn't have a vast amount of time to go and, and look up at the serpent, the bronze serpent. But God gave them that. He, he was long-suffering for a period of time to allow them to come forward and, and confess and, and, and seek that forgiveness, just like with us today. You know, Good point. When we sin, we don't know. I think a lot of times we take for granted that we have the rest of our lives, Right. We don't know how long the rest of our lives are going to be. You know, you made a good point, And I think a lot of times we forget it in here that the Lord let these people choose, didn't he? Just like Nate said, they had a choice. You didn't have to look, did you? You could have tried to get away. But you know, Jonah tried to get away from the Lord. And you can't hide from the Lord. Remember, we talked about that. Anything else? Well, we see that here the people go through Moses. They come to God. God gives them a solution to the problem. Now, when you see this solution, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, put it up on a pole. If somebody's bitten, when they do what? When they look at that, what happens? They live. So... God has furnished the way out, but they have a choice, don't they? They can either say that, you know, we messed up and we got bitten and we're going to live, or you can ignore it. We, as people of God, had a choice. We can make that choice whether we want to obey the gospel, don't we? Same thing. We're given choice. We're given a way. The Lord didn't make them look, although he sent the serpents. But here, they, they will live. And 
we sometimes say in, in the things we talk about that as we look at the cross, what do we see there? We see somebody taking our place, don't we? Because we sinned. And our sins had to be taken care of and we have to do something about it. We have to obey the gospel, don't we? And then it doesn't stop there. It's not you're saved and it's all over, is it? You have to continue steadfastly in the faith. So here they're looking. Um, of course, they want to live. And um, going a little bit farther, the, the interesting thing, and, and uh, Bruce made it, brought it a little bit, you remember in Genesis that here this serpent of old came to Eve and he led them to sin, didn't he? Isn't it interesting that here it's the punishment for sin? So the Lord uses different things, doesn't he? He, he uses something for them to understand that it's important that in order for you to live... You've got to be obedient to him, don't you? And when you read Revelation 12, 9, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that servant of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives how much? The whole world. He was cast to earth and his angels were cast out with him. Here's a situation that we know in Ephesians 6 that we're not wrestling against something that's easy to wrestle against, are we? That Satan's ever present and calls him the prince of the air, doesn't it, in Ephesians? So here's a situation that tells us we're going, oh, these people murmured all the time. Well, think about ourselves. Think about where we are spiritually. Sometimes we might have doubts about things. But we got to remember, Lord's in charge, isn't he? Any comments about that? Well, in the booklet, I put that there was, I put as a header in part of the booklet, there was a universal need. What do you think I'm referring to when I'm talking about this, these serpents and everything? What's the universal need? Remember I said before, they weren't just biting the children of Judah or Gad or Asher or Reuben. They were doing what? All the people. So what do you think that universal need is? For you and I, it's, it's a, there's a universal need because did God just send Jesus for the Jews? Just for the Gentiles? Just for the men? Just for the women? Just because of social contact or whatever? He was sent for everything. They were in the same boat. They needed something that could... Um... I'm still getting battery power. In Romans 3.9, it says that that both the Jews and the Greeks have been involved with sin. We know that the verses that say how many have sinned, all have sinned and come short, right? 
So there is a universal need to take care of these snakes just as we carry it over to you and I. There is a universal need to take care of sin, isn't there, for us? No different. When you look at the verses, if you go to uh, Romans 3, let's just do that real quick. Romans 3, and I'll, ver- I'll read Romans 3, and I'll uh, read 9 through 12. It says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And when you look at these verses and you think about sin and and what's happening, this Romans describes these children of Israel, don't they? Because it said the people murmured before, uh, they've come together, they've gone against God and gone against Moses. And when God looks at him, he's not seeing anybody that's that's following after him, is he? Because sin has entered into their life. And what does sin do to you and I? It separates us. In Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it says, what separates us? Our iniquities, doesn't it? It separates us from God. Well, in 1 John 1 and verse 8, if we say we have no sin... What do we do with ourselves? We're basically trying to fool ourselves, aren't we? And when we try to fool ourselves, we're saying that God's a liar, aren't we? Because through the inspiration of the Word, He were from the Holy Spirit, what does it say? All have sinned. Well, when you look at this, And you see the children of Israel, when you look at this situation that here are these snakes, they can't go to the doctor and say, you know, give me some anti-venom, do they? They can't go to the doctor and, and use a pump and pump out the poison. So there's no human remedy, is there? We don't, we don't have a human remedy either, do we? When we look at ourselves today, we can't heal ourselves. But who can? When you look at Matthew 1.21, Matthew 1.21, you're real familiar with this passage, and this is an easy one. In Matthew 1.21, it says... And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, but he won't be doing too much in the world for a long time. Is that the way your Bible reads? No, it reads, for he will save the people from what? Their sins. Here he is going to be born, and already, who's going to heal us? Because you and I can't do it, can we? 
We can't say that all of our works and all of our good deeds are going to save us. Faith is involved, isn't it? There is a motivation of what we call heaven that we will do what God wants us to do. Any comments about that? Well, the serpent had to be raised up. In this particular situation, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is in John 3.14. Who said that? Jesus did, didn't he? Jesus knew he would have to die, and he did it willingly. He took the sins of man. In John 8, 28, it says, Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. So, we had to have Jesus raised. We had to have this Savior on that tree, didn't we? That's why we do do this in remembrance, don't we? To remember Him. Well, when you look at this and you look at the children of Israel and us today, how many serpents did God tell Moses to make? One serpent. So with all those people, it's kind of like Nate was talking about, maybe a lot of them didn't die real quick and they had time, but you know there had to be a lot of people looking at it. The Lord didn't say how far he had to be away. They didn't have binoculars back then or scopes. But there was one serpent. You know, when we, we think of one, when we think of Ephesians, it says one Lord, one faith, and what? One baptism. Well, there was one Christ, wasn't there? There was one Savior that did it all for us. When you look at John 14, 6, I'll read these real quick. John 14, 6. And you can, you know there's a ton of other verses, but in John 14 and verse 6 it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, and you, you know what I'm going to read, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, how? Except by the one Christ, right? Well, you go a little farther. When Moses raised that up, it was just a pole, wasn't it? It wasn't a living snake, was it? It was something that they could look at that wouldn't move, that was made out of bronze, and it, it wasn't poisonous. They had to look at it. Well, when we had Christ on the cross... How many sins did he commit? None. He was without sin, wasn't he? So when we see this parallel for us, we see for us today through the kindness and the mercy and the long-suffering, and even though we sometimes complain, who's there to help us? The Lord. And we have to use prayer again, don't we? Any comments?
Nobody here can save you. There's nothing in the world that's going to save you. And so looking down here for anything and making things up uh, is not going to take the poison away. Good point. And no one can do it for you, can they? The person that's bit, I can't send Deborah. Said, Deborah, you do that. Don't work that way, does it? It's you and I. Who's, who's responsible for an individual soul? We are, aren't we, individually? Good point, Bruce. You know, when, when you look at this, um, when they said that all the people that were bid and some of them died, that all the people were involved. And when you look at this situation, over here wasn't some nice water that you can get in and hope you heal that snake bite. And over here, we have Moses that's raised the serpent and then over here is a soothsayer, and then over here is somebody doing something else. Was that the issue? Salvation was the same for every one of these people, these children of Israel, wasn't it? They couldn't do it on their own. They had to have something that took care of them, and it was the same for everybody. When we go to God's Word... Is there different ways of salvation? You know, when you, you look at the total Bible, that, the total Bible from Genesis through Revelation is about saving, isn't it? It's not just in Acts 2.38. It's a story, isn't it? It's a story that says we must obey. It's individual, and it's the same for everyone, isn't it? No different. In Acts 4, 11 and 12, this is a stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And who's this talking about? Jesus again, isn't it? Here's a situation that Jesus, the veil was rent. There was no longer a need for the priest to make sacrifices. Jesus was in charge of the priesthood. And he didn't die just for one tribe. He died for what? All. All the people. So we all have the same way to salvation. Any other comments so far? Well, as you go on a little farther with the children of Israel and for us today, the serpent was for all these victims, no matter who they were, if they were bitten by the serpent. And for us today, we just said that Christ died for everybody, didn't he? So we have this hope, just like they did, of survival. And it kind of goes back to what Bruce said and, and choices, which Nate said, was any of these people, any of these children of Israel forced? Do you see a verse where it said the Lord pushed them all over there to see that? No one was forced, were they? No one was made to do anything. The same thing with us today. We're not forced to be saved. What did they say on Pentecost? What must what we do? What must we do about this? What, or what can we do? <laughs> Repent and be baptized. Isn't that what he said? 
Any questions about this? Well, then the question is, what happened to this serpent on the pole? Anybody have any ideas? Yeah, I heard something else. Yep. If you turn to 2 Kings 18, 2 Kings 18, and look at verses 1 through 4. 2 Kings 18, 1 through 4. It says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. In verse 4, he removed the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel did what? They burned incense. So here was a situation that the pole didn't mean salvation anymore. What was it? It was honored instead of God, was it? Any questions of this so far? Up here. Not really a question, just a comment. It, it's not surprising, but we see it throughout the entire Bible that man always has a tendency or has a difficult time simply following the command. Exactly. They either do too little or they, do, they go too far. And you see that here. I think it implies that, that you know, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. That implies that some didn't, and they didn't live. Um, but then they also, they go too far and just say, well, okay, this saved me, so now it's my God. That's right. When it's convenient for me, I'll do it. And, you know, the part of that issue, that's, that's a good point, is they had a choice, and if they chose not to do it, they lose. And we have a choice, and if we don't do it, we lose, don't we? We can die in sin or we can die to sin, can't we? Yes, sir. Uh, I think it's interesting the analogies that are in the Bible between a, uh, a doctor and a patient. Uh, the, the medical symbol of the caduceus is, a, is the serpent on the pole. Uh, Jesus is called the great physician. Um, and... The the now the the important point on on this I think is is that without taking the antidote, it doesn't work. You can go to the doctor and get a prescription, but if you don't take it, it it's not going to work. And so, um, it's just a lot of connections there between Jesus as the great physician, the serpent on the pole that that we still recognize today in medicine. But if you don't look at it, if you don't pay attention to Jesus if you don't pay attention to the, the antidote for, for the problem. And like you said, there's no human solution to sin. And, and we're not scared of it. We're scared of everything else in the world. We're scared of Russia and China and all these things. But what really should terrorize us is sin because there's zero human solution to it uh, unless uh, you, you look toward Jesus or look toward the serpent on the pole. Great point. 
And when you think of the doctor-patient relationship, one thing that a doctor will say to you sometimes, just like he said, I'll give you this antibiotic or I'll give you a prescription. Now, who's, who's going to have to fill that prescription? Is the doctor going to fill it for you? Most of the time they don't, do they? You go fill it, and then you put it on the bathroom counter, and you don't take it. What happens? Well, doctors use the word, and Tali and others know this, and it's called compliance, isn't it? That if they're not compliant, what happens? They give you 10 days of medicine and you take two because why? You start feeling better, don't you? But you don't know that it's a bacterial infection and it takes more days to take care of it, right? So we can say we want to be healed, but there has to be compliance with that, doesn't there? And the compliance is with us to obey, isn't it? That's our compliance. And if we don't do it, we lose. Any other comments? Yes, sir. Just one. It's like Mitch said, there was a propensity for the children of God in the Old Testament to worship anything and everything except their God. And even today, I think the lesson for us is uh, Jesus was lifted up. We can lift up our eyes and see him through the eyes of faith and call on the name of the Lord and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But then we can be guilty of lifting things up higher than Jesus. And they, not even looking. Our own idols. Yes. If you look on page 43 and 44, I put a, most of this of what you've seen up here are on these two charts, like murmured at, at the food from God, many murmur about the Word of God, and you can go down both lists. And I basically took some of this off the list or changed a little bit. Go ahead. My, my brain is still back on that slide where you had all the murmuring, all the passages. <laughs> and you could have found more if you went back to Exodus, right? Right. That's... But in the narrative, that kind of gets compressed, and it seems like it's every day. But actually, that was over 40 years. So what that tells me is we need constant reminders of what God is doing for us. That's one of the reasons why we have Bible studies like this. It's one of the reasons why we're taking the Lord's Supper every first day of the week so that we don't get in the habit of murmuring about what we don't have and forget about what we do have. Exactly. Good point. Thanks for everybody's attention and participation.